Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are going to be looking at the top 20 wingers. If you missed, we did the top 20 centers the other day. Um, and uh, I thought it went pretty well. I don't know about you, Chase, but uh, I think we had the top three the same. And we had most of us, I think we had all the same people in the top nine or top 10 or so, but in a bit of a different order. And uh, the wingers, I expect to be in a completely different order because it is so hard ranking them. But before we get to the wingers, we got a bunch of news, uh, not a bunch, a couple of signings and then some news to go through as well. So we can get into that. Um, let's start with one of the smallest ones in AAV, but still uh, uh, one to talk about. It's not too often we talk about league minimum contracts, but I wanted to bring this up. Joe Thornton signed with the uh, Florida Panthers in what sounds like is basically the same role as he was in with Toronto, like a, a father figure, that team right that's kind of on the edge that needs to get past the first round hump. Um, he signs for 750K, the exact same contract he signed in Toronto. Uh, it's pretty clear he's looking for a cup, but he's... Um, you know, there's, there's only a select few teams, I think, that's going to willing to take them, and Florida seemed to be one of them. Yeah, and this makes uh, some sense. Florida's a good enough team. It's not like he signed with Tampa Bay, but Thornton's still an all right player. I like this fit. It's no risk in, in the off chance that he has hit a cliff in the past three months or whatever and is completely useless. It looked like he was slowing down in Toronto, but that could have just been like a season season-long thing. That's my biggest question is, are they going to have the balls to be able to sit him if he's not one of their 12 best forwards by the end of the season? You know, because like they quietly have a very good four group, Sam Reinhardt, Barkov, Huberdeau, Hornquist, uh, I'll throw Bennett in there, even though I think there's some regression, but Duclair, Vetrano, Achari, Verhagi, like just there alone, I named nine guys, um, which is probably making up your top nine, right? And then you have... Owen Tippett, uh, Ryan Lomberg, who, who was a pain in the playoffs, Mason Marchment, uh, um, a couple other guys, too, that are going to be uh, young guys that are going to be trying to make this roster from the uh, AHL team, you know, like um, Alexi Hepiniemis should be probably Anton Lindell, maybe not this year, but um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, come playoff time or even at the end of the year, if Thornton does start to slow down and run out of legs, will they be able to, will they have, sit him because you know Toronto didn't and it, I'm not gonna say it cost them but um you know you could definitely see by the end he uh uh was getting tired that's for sure yeah it looked like he was fatigued and that's the thing like there's no risk with a 750k signing as long as you use them right and like if he is awful you just don't play him I have no idea if Florida is to be trusted to do that or not Toronto yeah and I would have thought they'd be on the upper half, at least in the league, in terms of not being willing to not play someone. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Um, you know, maybe, but they, they do have Quenville, a coach where, you know, I don't think he would be, he's one of the, it's not like Sheldon Keefe where, I mean, granted, like I, I think if Keefe wanted to, he could have, I think it was Keefe like Thornton and that's why he, Thornton didn't sit, you know, um, yeah. but um, it's, it, it is a little different having a coach like Quenville that's been through it all has the pedigree and, and obviously a resume that he has versus a second year head coach in Sheldon Keefe, who hasn't even been around for a full season yet. Right. So um, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. That's probably enough on the league minimum player though. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it, it turns out. I think Florida will definitely have a good team and uh, the Atlantic should be uh, definitely a close one this year. Uh, I'm just trying to find the next one in order of what we I have written down. Uh, let's go to Jason Dickinson quick. Uh, Vancouver gets it done. 
Uh, they traded for him this year from Dallas. Uh, I think they gave him a third or a fourth for him. It was pretty cheap. Give three year deal, uh, 2.65 AAV. I mean, this is fine. He's 25, can play center or left wing. Um, I feel like I'd be higher on this contract if, again, their cap sheet wasn't such a mess and they still had to, or like if Pedersen and Hughes had deals already. But um, this this deal in a vacuum, I think, is good value. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, the timing with Pedersen and Hughes is ridiculous, of course. But just looking at this deal, it's a cheapish deal for a relatively good young player. Can't go yeah, wrong. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not much. He's solid defensively, which should help them out. And, you know, he doesn't really drive a ton of play offensively, but that's okay. You know, you, you should have enough guys between Horvat, Besser, Patterson that can do that, right? So. Exactly. And they're not paying him like he's this top tier offensive driver either. They seem to be paying him like they know exactly what they're getting, which is just like a, a defensively responsible, competent middle six player. And that seems pretty reasonable to me. Yep, exactly. Uh, the Minnesota Wild and Kevin Fiala also settled on a deal. This just pushes it down one year, though. Uh, one year, $5 million, kind of feel $5.1 million, kind of feels like a approve it deal in terms of can you do this again, what you did last year? Because uh, I would say last year was probably his true breakout year in terms of, um, you know, at least coming to the public perception, right? He had uh, 40 points in 50 games, which is definitely on pace for the highest of his career. Um, so it kind of feels like a, a show me deal. Plus they really don't have the cap to be signing him long-term anyways. Um, so it kind of just pushes their problem off a year, I think. Yeah. That's the problem with these buyout or the contracts to begin with. And then the way the buyouts function, like, I don't know why they'd want to punt this year. It looks like it only gets harder next year, but I mean, I, I don't guess. know if they have the option, right? Like I, I just, yeah. That's... And I, I also think, like they probably, if I, I'm guessing if Minnesota's thought process was we may as well punt this year or not punt, but like see if he can do it this year again. And if he does put up, you know, 0.8 points per game and throws up 60 to 65 points this year, then we will pay him like that. But it's better to wait it out and see than pay him, say, seven. I don't know. Like if he puts up a 65 point season, what's he getting? Probably seven mil, 7.5 maybe on the open market. Yeah, something like that. He'll make good money if he puts up 70 points next year. Yeah, so it's like maybe they're just saying, it's like, okay, well, if we do have to pay him 6.5 or 7, we'd rather be sure of it than uh, pay it now. And if that backfires, they're absolutely screwed because they would have like $35 million tied up in a year towards two players that are not on their team and one that are – sorry, I guess it's seven per. So it would be $21 million per on, on the year on a guy who's not worth it and two players who you're paying not to play, but – what a team. What a weird. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I, I, I don't like, I, again, I understand one of the buyouts and someone said it was cost certainty too, because there was the, always the chance they retire, but it didn't really seem like retiring was something that Parise or Suter had thought about over the next couple of years, at least. So I just, I don't really know. Especially because like Suter signed so quickly, like it, nothing that he did made it seem like retirement was ever really an option there. Yeah, and he signed a multi-year deal too, right? Like it's not like he just went cup chasing or anything. Yeah, like he was very clearly interested in still playing hockey. Yeah, so I, I don't know that, but uh, yeah, Fiala, I think that'll be good value again for him for this one year, and we'll see where it go if he can repeat it and get a big payday next year. Yeah, hopefully he does. I love Kevin Fiala back in the old uh, Neiland when it looked like Neilander might have been traded. He was one of the guys I thought uh, could realistically go for him, and it's cool to see him actually break out. 
Yep. Um, the other one is UC Soros as the last signing of the week. Uh, another pretty big goalie contract. Uh, Soros finally broke out last year, had really his, you know, obviously as he's been touted as, you know, the replacement to Pekka Rene for years. And then they drafted Askarov in last year's draft and Soros carried that team in the playoffs, almost arguably ruining, not ruining, but um, setting their rebuild back half a year when it probably should have started, but um, they've started to sell. They signed the 26 year old to a four year deal that pays them five mil uh, per, and you would assume by the end of this deal, Askarov will be ready to take over the starters net and they probably won't have to pay him money again. So, this is kind of one of those contracts where it's like, if this would have been signed two years ago, I think we would have had way more to digest and dissect. But I honestly don't know if this contract's going to matter one way or the other. No, it seems like best case scenario, he just like keeps him out of the lottery. Yeah, well, like maybe. I, well, I'd say best case scenario is he plays not well enough to keep them out of the lottery, so they get to rebuild for two years. But then in three years, he goes back to the really good goalie we saw this year and they can flip him when Askarov is ready or keep him if they really want to, if they think they're going to be ready to compete again in three or four years. But yeah, that's true. This has like John Gibson contract vibes to me where it's like in and of itself, this deal is fine, but like, why are you signing this deal? Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where it's tough. Cause it's like, you don't want to let him walk for nothing or almost nothing. If you trade his RFA rights, but yeah, like, what does having you like, a, even if UC Saros is say the ninth best goalie over the net, the, the duration of this contract, what does that really help this team with? And it's not going to stay that you, you don't want to bet on that staying that going forward. So like, yeah, what are you really doing here? Yeah. I, I don't really get it, but like the contract itself is fine. So yeah, it is an interesting trade piece, I guess. Like if he next year, he absolutely tears it up again, you know, maybe, you approach a team like, um, I, I don't know, maybe like a Colorado or something like that and say, hey, you will and spend another first round pick on a goalie because there's three years of cost control here. I could see that. Goalies are always so weird because everyone knows how important they are. But like, when's the last time a goalie's got traded for something major? I mean, Darcy Kemper probably. Yeah. He went for a first yeah, in Timmins, but even that was like, I think the reason that was such a big price is because literally everyone's like, okay, the abs have to go get Darcy Kemper. Yeah. That was such an aggressive, like desperation trade. I'm thinking like there was the Ryan Miller one at the deadline, like forever ago. I think that was a big price. It really doesn't happen that often. Unless yeah, I'm no, super. I, I can't really think of too many. It, it's weird because it's just like, but I, I guess the, the thing is too, it's like most good teams already have a goalie. And if you're, if you don't have a goalie, you don't want to be spending a ton banking and praying that that's what the, the solution is going to be, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know. That, that's probably what I would say. Uh, we have two non-signing pieces of news to get to real quick. Uh, first, ads are coming on jerseys, I believe, in the 2022-23 season. Uh, it'll be kind of like the NBA has the little crest uh, on the left. I want to say it's the left. No, their right, our left, I think. If you're viewing the player from the front, it would be the left, but their actual right. Um, there's been some mock-ups online. Uh, I don't know about your take on jerseys. I don't really have a strong one either way. If the ads get any bigger than what they're planning on now or any more, I will be very against it. But um, someone posted a picture of the Sens wearing like a Canadian tire and a bell ad and said, this makes me sick. And I'm not even kidding. It took me a full 60 seconds to figure out what the hell they were even talking about. Yeah, it's one of those things. I get there are like jersey purists out there. I never, 
I guess it's like a sanctity thing because like the people feel like super passionate about it. But honestly, if they want to put ads on jerseys, go for it. Yeah, like I just I don't know, like it obviously I don't want to getting looking like overseas or anything like that. But uh, I just I don't know, man, like I just don't really care if it's like I, I barely notice them in the NBA. Obviously, the odd ad you do. Um, like I think wish sponsored the LA Lakers or something. And that's always funny seeing it, but um, you know, like uh, just if, if they make it fit, make the color scheme fit. I, I really couldn't, could care less like, or couldn't care less. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I just fail to get worked up either way about this. And I, it's also, you see a lot of people talking about it online. I, I saw a lot more, Hey, don't get mad at this. than I saw anyone actually getting mad at it. Yeah, I think when uh, they announced the helmet sponsors, it was kind of uh, given that eventually jersey sponsors would be coming on. So, uh, yeah, my big take on it is as long as it stays to that shoulder patch, I don't really care. Yeah, and that's fair enough. You barely, especially like in the screenshots or whatever, like when you're watching a hockey game, that's going to be completely meaningless. No, exactly. It'll just be like the, the pictures or whatever, right? So, um, yeah, you might notice it on like the close-ups in TV, but if you're at like any non-ice level seat, like if you're in a nosebleed seat at a hockey game, you probably wouldn't even be able to see it. No, not at all. Definitely not. Like, and if you can't, you won't. It won't be noticeable. I doubt. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the last thing uh, news is breaking today. This is still a bit of a developing story. So I don't think we will go too, too long on it, but uh, definitely got to bring it up. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, as of right now, do not have a home um, after this upcoming season. The city of Glendale is terminating the Coyotes lease for the city-owned uh, Gila River Arena. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, what comes from this. Uh, it's a mess that you don't want to see. It kind of felt like they maybe had found a home in Glendale, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go from this. Yeah, what do you do? Because, like, I can't imagine there's that many options for the Coyotes. Well, I'm trying to see where do the Phoenix Suns play. Oh, that's a good call. So they play, yeah, they play actually in Phoenix at Footprint Center is what it's called. Like, if you could play there, I don't know if that's a dual thing or not, like if they could put ice in there or not. But, like, being in Phoenix, I think, from what I've heard, would help a lot with attendance, too. Because Glendale's not in Phoenix, right? I think it's uh, you know outside a little bit, but I, I just like this was supposed to be, yeah, like this is supposed to be where their big new thing was. Um, I just I, I don't know, like it, it kind of it sucks to hear about, right? Like you never want to see a team go homeless, but uh, yeah, all the the talk about possible moving or you know going to Houston, Quebec, wherever uh, is rampant right now. Um, I have a hard time seeing them relocate personally, but you never know, I guess. It's not impossible, but like if the NHL is stuck with them for all these years, they're clearly not a profitable team and have been willing to stick with them for forever. I don't know. Like this is big news, but like, I'd just be shocked if it changed all of a sudden. Yeah. I just, I I really don't, uh, don't see it happening to be honest. Yeah. I I, don't know. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't have much more to say on that just because I mean, it's still developing. If we get more details, we'll definitely share them. But uh, let's see. Let's get into our uh, top 20 wingers list, I guess. Let's do it. 
So this one was uh, hard. I, I found this way. I always find the wingers so much harder than defensemen or defensemen, goalie or centers, really, um, just because we we combine them the left and right because we don't want to try and figure out who plays what. And then what do you do about dual wing, wingers and stuff like that? Um, so uh, there's obviously a bunch of names. And honestly, like there's I'm not even confident in my top 20. I think there's a couple guys in like the 17, 18, 19 range that could be like 33rd if you really wanted to argue it or whatever. And I, a big reason for that is makes sense when we're putting two sides together. That means there's now, um, you know, if you're taking, if the definition of first line winger is one of 32 or first line center is one of 32 now, right. It's doubled that for wingers where the, a first line winger is 64, one of the top 64 wingers in the league, which again, sounds crazy to talk about. Like if I called someone the 60th best winger in the league, you probably wouldn't think like super, super highly, but that is technically a first line winger in the NHL. Yeah, exactly. It's by definition a first liner. And the wingers are so weird. Like I'm pretty confident I tiered these ones again in the top 12. And then from 13 to 30, I could order them. I could hear an argument for basically any order, which is just so aggressive relative. Even we said the centers gets tough, but like the wingers are even worse. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it is, uh, um, and I'm already like, I'm already realizing there's two guys where I probably almost could have had them on the list, but didn't. And so I, I'm going to keep them off now because I don't want to change it. But like, I, I didn't, I don't know if you have either of Timo Meyer or Thomas Hurdle on your list, but I didn't. And I just kind of forgot about them until the second. I had them both down as honorable mentions, just in, in between 20 and 30. Just like, yeah, like that's kind of where I would have them. I have a bunch of honorable mentions here. Um, two guys that I think that I, I like, I think they are probably still top line wingers. Um, just as, at least from a goals above replacement standpoint, but they don't play any defense and that really killed them. That's Ovi and Kyle Connor. Um, I didn't have either. I want to put Kyle Connor, but like, I think like he's just so bad defensively. I couldn't justify it. This is how ridiculous the wingers are. I forgot Ovi. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't like, have I, Ovi in my top 20. I was like, there's no way, but like, I don't know. Like he, he's definitely, I think, still a first line winger, even with his flaws of the game. But even he might like he posts like nine goals above replacement this past year. His shot is still so deadly that he's still there. But um, other names I had, um, Johnny Goudreau, another kind of not amazing season for him, has him just off the top 20 for me. Uh David Perra, I want to give some love to because he's been like, I think he's ninth out of all wingers in scoring over the top past two seasons, which absolutely blew my mind and Jake Jakob Verana is another one um, that I just couldn't fit on the list, but I think deserves some names, uh, some recognition from an analytical perspective as well. Yeah. I had Verana like 19. I really like Verana. I could totally see having him in the, yeah. in the, anywhere in that mushy middle tier, it's kind of tough for him that he goes to Detroit. I have a feeling that's not going to help him shoot up like the goals above replacement or the points leaderboards, no matter how well he plays. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it, it sucks because you want to see it. I think with those points, too, he could shoot up a lot of leaderboards. Um, and the last two, I had literally, I had Besser in my top 20, but I had to take him out just because I want, I, th- I didn't think it was fair to leave the other guy out that I put at 20. So Besser was my 21. And I have Taylor Hall there as well, who I didn't fit in. Uh, just kind of settling into a second line role in Boston, which is no it's because there's two better wingers than him in Boston, which we will definitely get to. But um, I, I don't think he's a top 20 winger at this point personally, but he's definitely a first liner still. 
Yeah, I had Hall precisely at 20. I forgot him the first time through. I still think maybe I, like I could be buying too much into the upside, but I am willing to forgive a lot because a big thing that's pushed him down the goals above replacement has been his finishing. But like we have such a large sample on Taylor Hall that we know that's not his true finishing talent, what we've seen over the past hundred games or so from him. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he just absolutely lights up in Boston either. But um, I, I think it is fair to say his days of being, you know, a top five, maybe even top ten winger are probably over. Like, yeah, it would be he pretty just, surprising to me if he. He would absolutely have to like carry that second line in Boston to where they're like one of the best lines in the league. I think for me to put him definitely in the top five, I, I think his days of top five winger are over. But you know, if, if he throws up like seventy five points next year or whatever, he's going to be hard to not have around ten. Yeah, exactly. Like a like a Matt, Max Pacioretty style renaissance where it looks like he's slowly falling into that like first line winger, but not elite. And then he shoots up into the at least into the list comfortably. Yeah. Um, did you have any other honorable mentions you want to touch on? I know we got through your 20 and 19 already with uh, Hall and then um, uh, Verana at 19 as well. But uh, did you have any more honorable mentions? I had a bunch. I had like to Chuck. Matthew Tuchuk, Kevin Fiala, Oshi, Tatar, Tafoli. These guys could all be on a Bujnevich. These guys could all, and Mantha. Like these guys could easily be on the list. I had them just on the outside. I say, I, I got two of those guys on my list. Um, so we'll, we'll get to them eventually. Uh, but yeah. Um, all right. I'll, I'll start with my 20 then. And this feels like a bit of a cheat. I just couldn't not have him because I think he's like third for points among wingers over the past two years. Uh, and that's Patrick Kane. I will still absolutely buy into the fact that I think he has to do a lot for that team. And that's why his defense is so bad. He has 150 points in 120, his last 126 games, going back to 2019-20, which ranks first among right wingers and third among all wingers. Only Marshan and Panarin are ahead of him. Um, so it's almost impressive that he's at 20 despite being so high in points. But again, I, I feel like we've gone over it so many times on this podcast where his defense is just so bad that it does pull him down. And I have him just on the outside here. Yeah, I had Kane 18. I had dry sidle higher, slightly higher than you. Kind of fitting that I have Patrick Kane slightly higher than you because they're a very similar case style and or case study in terms of valuing players. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, like my next, I have no confidence in terms of how you want to order the next like five guys or whatever. Like, I think you could throw them all just kind of out there. Um, and it's like, so, you know, if Patrick, if you want, like someone really want to argue Patrick Kane was even like the 15th best winger in the league, I would have really no issue. I think a lot of people would still have him top three to five. And again, we've been over this a lot where I just don't think he's there anymore. Yeah, I think if you asked like the median hockey fan, they'd have him above guys like Marner and Huberdeau and Ehlers. And I just don't think that's a defensible, defensible take in 2021. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, like I, I think he's overrated. He's still a very, very good player, of course. But yeah, I think he's definitely overrated in terms of, you know, just how much he gives up on the defensive end. And, and you know, we'll see if maybe if Chicago try, is trying to be better this year, uh, you know, maybe that'll change, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Because like guys like Nylander take a lot of shit for being bad defensively, but like everyone I have on this list generally has at least vaguely competent defensive results, except for Patrick Kane. Like he's just a whole nother world of horrible. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, my 19, this is a guy where I, I want to make sure he was actually a winger. I think he's been playing mostly winger lately the past couple of years. And that's Claude Giroux. Okay. I have Giroux a lot higher, but I kind of just threw him down a little more because I really wasn't sure if he was a winger or a center. Um, so maybe I, I could probably have him honestly, like, like there's guys that like, I wasn't even sure about 10. I think anyone from 10 to 19 could be argued in this order kind of thing. Um, he, he's really good about uh, goals above replacement. He hasn't put up the points like other guys have. I think he's at like 90 points over the past two seasons, um, which ranks around 20th or so for wingers. But um, yeah, like it's definitely fair that he's revitalized his career by shifting to the wing because it looked like about three or four years ago when he was playing center, it looked like he was cooked. And, um, you know, now obviously getting to play alongside like Sean Couturier for a lot of your minutes is not a bad thing at all, but um, you know, he just looks like a way different player. Exactly. He reminds me of Stamkos in that sense where he's clearly like the perfect passenger, but he can't do everything on its own anymore. Absolutely. And that's another, like, I didn't, I don't know where, did you have Stamkos as a center or a winger? Yeah, I put him, I think I put him on our center list at like 20. If I, I, I think I did. I think I did as well. So I, I didn't include him on this winger list because that, that was another one I wasn't really sure about, but I'd have him pretty high if I did, but I, I didn't put him on here. Yeah, me either. Um, I'm just going through uh, 18. So this is funny because I think if you, again, if you ask people, is Patrick Kane the best player on his own or the best winger on his own team? And you said, no, you get some funny looks, but I have Alex to here. Okay. I too have to bring it. Uh, I have to bring it one spot ahead of Kane, putting him at my 17. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, just a very, very, very good player. Um, probably underrated to be honest, just because, you know, obviously Kane Taves and then even like Keith last year got a bunch of the talk when thinking about Chicago, but he has 101 points in the past uh, um, two seasons that ranks 11th among left wingers. And I think 15th total among wingers. Um, But, you know, obviously his defensive game is much, much stronger than uh, Patrick Kane's. He doesn't give up near or the the team doesn't give up near as much when he's on the ice. Um, So yeah, that's why he's 17 for me or 18 for me. Sorry. 17 for you. Yeah. Elite goal scorer clearly can't, uh, like completely drive a line, but it's not really fair to ask of a winger of his quality. And he doesn't really need to, he's not exactly the centerpiece over there in Chicago and he's just been quietly effective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. My 17, I have a guy who I, 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 man, it feels like I want him up the list, but it just points and even goals above replacement didn't really, it wasn't, it was lower than I was expecting. It's Travis Konechny I have at uh, 17. Okay, that's a good one. I have Konechny on the outside looking in, but I, I do like Konechny. He, he definitely had a down year this year. And also, I, I'm thinking now that one guy I left off my list and I probably shouldn't was Joe Pavelski. Although, I don't know. He might be a center, to be honest. I don't even know what he plays. Um, I had him as a mid-tier winger because I believe he played right wing primarily this year. Okay, that's why, yeah, okay. I, I totally forgot. I don't know if you have him on your list or not, but that's a name I just told. There's so many names, and, um, yeah, that's one I just totally forgot about. But Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I forgot about Obi, so. <laughs> um, let's get to connect me, though. Yeah, uh, he had a down year this year, so maybe this is a little more projecting than anything else because he was very, very strong two years ago. Um, and even three years ago, like an analytical dar- darling, really, um, you know, he, he can put the puck in the net or he'll put the puck in the net as well. Um, 
maybe it's a little high on him, but he had a really, really good breakout 1920 year. And I thought he was going to carry it over this past year and didn't quite. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Cause if he's closer to that 1920 year, I absolutely think he's a top 20 winger, but if he's closer to what he was this year, yeah, he's probably closer to that like 30 range, 30 to 40 range where he is like a top line winger, but not like a number one, a true number one. Yeah, I could see that. I, I punished him pretty heavily for this past year. I didn't really watch enough Philly games. It's going to be really interesting going forward with guys like Konechny out a down year. Like Konechny played like 700 minutes last year. In the, in the normal season, like we'd be more than willing to excuse that. But projecting, we kind of just have to go with it because that's a quote-unquote season. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like even when I say, you know, over the past two years, it's been for most people about 120 games played, which is like a year and a half usually. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm looking at connect he looks like he's played about 1500 minutes in the past two seasons. Like that's what a Patrick Kane would normally play in one season. So for Konechny to be bad in half of that time is not abnormal, but it's maybe it's just looks worse because that is a quote unquote season. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, yeah, maybe he's somewhere in the middle, right? Where he's like, maybe he's a true like eight goals above replacement player, not a five, but also not a 12. Um, you know, and I, I think still that would probably put him close to the 20 ish range, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, that would put him in comfortably in the tier where if that's your flavor of player, then you could have him 20 or 19 or whatever, or you could have him like 26. Yep, exactly. All right. We both have our first four down now. I had, uh, Kane, Giroux, Dabrinkit, and Konechny. Um, so oddly enough, only two teams that I've had in my first four here. Um, and then you had, I uh, want to run through your 20 to 17 real quick. Yeah, 20 at Hall, then Verana, Kane, and then Dabrinkit. Yeah, so um, at 16, I again, here's two that uh, in a row that I have back-to-back here that I feel like are very similar type players, but I have Gabriel Landeskog at 16, which Honestly, I don't know. Feels I think I feel like if you pulled again public, it feels low. But there's just no one that I on this list that I felt was worse than him. To be honest, I forgot about Landis Cog. <laughs> I would definitely take Hall off for Landy. Yeah, like I, I think it's fair to say that Landis Cog is easily the third best player on his own line. But that speaks more to how good the other two are than what Landis Cog is. Um, I be I don't think he's someone who can really drive his own first line like super effectively anymore, but that's quite okay because he absolutely doesn't need to do that, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's not being asked of him. And he, yeah, he's a classic example where like all of his numbers shoot up when he gets united with Ranton and McKinnon on this godly line. And it's like, well, did Landis Cog really just randomly take a huge jump at 26? Not impossible. Or is it more the context? It's it's tough to really get a clear answer on that. Yeah, and that's why, you know, before I get you to go, you're 16. One guy who I think is a couple years younger but reminds me a lot, and that's why I have my 15, is William Nylander. Yeah, I have Nylander at 16. Perfect. Okay. So we're, we're right uh, along the ball for a lot of these, but uh, yeah, Nylander to me, reminds me a lot of kind of what Landis Cog is. And I think, you know, Lee fans should hope that what that's kind of the aging curve where, um, you know, he, like Landis Cog has 96 points his last 108 games. That is very, very, very good. 
Uh, Nylander, we've seen, can drive his own line if he needs to. Um, you know, probably not a first line, but, um, you know, especially if you sign him down to a second or a third line, he absolutely can. But I think Nylander's best fit is when you play him with another very skilled player like an Austin Matthews or a John Tavares. Yeah, 100%. He just looks right there. Nylander's so weird for these lists because if you just sort by, like, goals above replacement or points or whatever over the past three years, he's not particularly high. But then you think about it and it's like, um, or APM or like Micah's model, he's an elite play driver or at least a very good one. Maybe not quite elite because he doesn't exactly have monstrous defensive results. He's a very good shooter. You can see that by he's got 30 goal seasons. You can watch it. Uh, Micah's shooting model is super high on him. All the zone entry and zone exit stuff. Again, you can watch him or look at the numbers. He's amazing. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't translated to on ice goals for. But like if you name an input, he does literally all of it well, except for defense in which he's at least average-ish at. So like, I would really like to see it all come together for him to have like a monster gar year and then just shoot up this kind of a list. Yeah, I think adding some points on, say, like a power play or whatever would, would also really help with that. And because, hey, it's funny because he's super – productive in terms of expected goals four per 60 and Corsi four per 60 on the power play. Um, so it's not like that, uh, you know, especially last year he was anyways. So it's not like that uh, is impossible either, but yeah, when you look at his play driving metrics, especially his RAPM, it's just, he's very just even across the board. Like he's not a God defensively or anything, but he is above average, but or above replacement level for sure. Like he's about a standard deviation uh, on the RAPM charts and, um, you know, all offensively categories, he's very blue as well. So um, it, it's weird. Like it's one of those players where I feel like the contract holdout really, really tainted his view even now um, for a lot of people, because um, it's the classic other way where I think, yeah, like I, I think there would be definitely a group of people who absolutely laugh at the fact that we have uh, William Nylander in a top 20, but I think he absolutely is. Yeah, 100%, because you can make arguments against him all sorts of different ways. But like I said, if you just look at the inputs that go into being a good hockey player, like he's just so good at everything you want. It's pretty clear to me he's a very, very good player and better than most wingers in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, so that was your 16. Who do you have at 15 then? 16, I have... This is a weird one that I don't know if very many people would have on these lists. I have Oliver Bjorkstrand. Yeah, see, I didn't I didn't have him. I honestly didn't even think about anyone from Columbus, mostly because I just saw Line a and thought, ah, no, they don't have anyone. But that's uh, definitely an interesting pick. Uh, go go through why you have him that uh, on the list. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say so high, but 15 isn't uh, isn't low by any means. Yeah, so the Twins at Evolving Hockey, like they have them in the top 30 for forwards over the past three seasons and both goals and expected goals above replacement. He's not exactly a monstrous play driver, but the fact that he's just put up numbers like that on the Columbus freaking blue jackets is very impressive to me. When you look at guys lower on the list, like, like the Landis cogs and Nylanders who get Tavares and McKinnon and whatnot. Like the fact that he's done that on Columbus, just cycling through is, is really, really impressive to me. Yeah, and he doesn't really seem like that it's going to change anytime soon in terms of like, like I don't really see you – know, there's a couple guys we name here, like even um, trying to think of uh, who we name, we were talking about, or Verana, where it's like, yeah, like maybe we could see Verana having a breakout season, but, you know, he, he needs to have that. Like if Bjorkstrand's in the same boat, but 
I don't really see the way he does that in Columbus anytime soon, just given where they are in a rebuild right now. Yeah, that's going to be tough. I know on the PDO cast, Alice, because uh, he has got like nothing on the power play. I don't even know if they use him on power play one, but Columbus has had a horrible power play one. And Allison Lucan was talking about how they plan on fixing that this upcoming year. So maybe that would help out his point totals. That's like the only plausible way I could see like a big breakout from him to be yeah, coming. I, I guess granted, like if you took his 44 over 56, uh, made it to 82, that's a 64 point pace as well, which um, is nothing to scoff at, obviously. So like maybe, maybe it's just, you just need a full year of what he's been playing at recently to uh, put up the kind of numbers. Right. But yeah, that very well could be it too. Yeah. That's a definitely an interesting pick. Um, I, uh, I like it a lot. Um, all right. My number uh, 14 is someone you actually had in the honorable mentions. I have Matthew Kachuk up here. Um, I, I know he, uh, uh, he had a down year this year, especially by his own standards. Um, and again, I, I think there's a bit of a theme of me maybe not uh, punishing down years for younger guys as much as maybe you or just I, maybe even that I should. But um, he, even in his quote unquote down year, he still had a pretty productive year comparative to like um, just generally speaking, you know, like what you would expect out of an average forward. Like his down year this year, he's still at 8.8 goals above replacement, which was definitely in the top 30 for wingers um, and forwards. Um, you know, last year he had 12.4, uh, obviously he didn't put up, he hasn't put up the insane points that maybe some of the other guys have, but I think he has about 95 over the past season and a half or two, like two seasons, but season and a half of games. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that maybe this is a bit of a projection just in terms of he's still young enough that I absolutely think he'll bounce back, but, uh, I have Matthew Chuck at 14, just kind of does everything gets under the skin and, uh, can put the puck in the net effectively as well. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. I I left him off. I don't really know. He just doesn't seem to put up the monstrous. Like, it doesn't really have monstrous point totals or, like, war numbers over the past three seasons, albeit, like, he is a ridiculously good play driver. And I do love the style that he plays. It's obviously super effective and very unique. So having him in this range is very reasonable. Yeah. Um, I, I would say he really, yeah, he, he's him and his brother are so funny that they're so similar, but it's just like in like slightly different ways, right? Like Matthew Kachuk's put up more points than Brady does, but it's the same story with both of them where it's like, they kind of like drive play and just do everything so well, except have the monster point totals. And it's like, that's definitely what they have to do if they want to get in that upper echelon. But um, yeah, I think that uh, Matthew Kachuk especially is just so well-rounded in his game right now that I had a hard time not putting him in my top 20. Yeah, that's fair. Both of them seem like they're like a William Carlson kind of shooting heater away from being like literally one of the most effective players in the entire league for at least one season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, because if either of them could, like, especially Matthew Kachuk is very, or this list, uh, uh, yeah, over the past three years has been very solid defensively as well and drives play offensively and is good on the power play. Like, if he gets a shooting here or even just his line mates, it's more and he gets a bunch of, you know, assists, like, he could be very, he could shoot up these lists very quickly. Very, very quickly. And he's still young enough that him taking a leap would not be surprising at all. No, I I don't think so. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, So who's your 14 then? At 14, I had Joe Pavelski. Okay, yep. Um, yeah, so I, I totally left him off the list. I, I think this is probably 
where right around where I would have had him. So that probably would bump Kane down off my list. Um, I just completely forgot until we got around and then someone had mentioned uh, once we got to the Jason Dickerson contract, I mentioned coming from Dallas. I went, Ooh, I forgot Joe Pavelski in our list, but. Yeah. It feels kind of gross having them, having him this high, but like, he's still just clearly a very good hockey player quietly in Dallas. It's just hard to care about this version of the Dallas stars. Yeah. Like he was like their MVP last year for like the first, like 30 games. He was willing that team into anything relevant near playoffs. Yeah, exactly. He's the exact kind of guy that like the hockey analytics community could fall in love with because he just puts up amazing, but not amazing underlying results on a pretty boring and mediocre team. So it's never like he's going to get national love. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when they brought him in, the love he did get was because he was this veteran playoff gritty kind of guy or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, they, people love them because of that playoff run to the finals or whatever, where it's like, it's funny that the year after was definitely his better season with the team, but gets nowhere near the amount of attention because the team was hurt and not very good. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. 13. I had, uh, Max Pacioretty here who I would not have expected to have Max Pacioretty this high on a wingers list about three years ago, just given the way his career is going, but, um, here he is. I am 12. I completely agree with all that. Like just a complete revitalizing of his career in Vegas. Yeah. And like, part of me wonders if it's a bit of a Mark Stone boost. Oh, where, it certainly is. But like, he fits so well with them too. Right. Like, it's not like, like he's sixth among, um, left wingers in points over the past two seasons with one seventeen, which, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm let me check on right wingers here as well. I, I wish NHL.com would just combine all damn wingers together, but they don't. Um, yeah. And that puts him 10th overall among wingers, you know, Mark Stone, Mitch Marner, David Pasternak, Patrick Kane, uh, Miko Rantanen. Like that, that's the kind of names that Pan, Panarin, Huberto, Kyle Connor, like that, that's the names that are ahead of him right now. It's like, that's a very, very good list to just be right behind. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, he almost certainly does get the stone bump, although it's worth noting he came from kind of an not like the worst context in the world of Montreal, but it's not like he was getting help. So even just going to a league average would help them. And also a big thing with stone is stone's a great finisher in his own right, but Pacioretty adds legitimate shooting talent to that line, which is obviously great when you have a guy like Mark stone who can generate that many shots. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice fit together. And I think when that stone trade happened, everyone kind of thought is like, Ooh, Patrini and stone could work very, very well together. Cause stone had made Zach Smith have a 20 goal year. What could, you know, what is he going to do with a guy who can actually shoot the puck and has a bunch of shooting talent? Yeah, exactly. And it's one of the great examples. Everybody just, there's this weird thing where people are in love with the fact that you need a center to drive a line. It's like, I don't think, you need a center. It's just that most of the best players tend to play center because that's what hockey forces upon them. But like the stone and patch ready lines, a pretty good example that you can drive a line from the wings and have it be ridiculously good. Yeah, exactly. And then people will point to, well, it got shut down in the third round or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's also just because they were playing a very good defensive team and you know, a team that was on top of their game defensively in Montreal and just didn't give them anything. And it was a, six game sample or whatever right like if we yeah. want to draw conclusions from this season it's always wild to me how people take the six game sample and not the 68 other games that they had to look at and be like no this six games is actually what's wrong and they need a centerman because look at this 
Yeah, exactly. And also that Montreal team shut down a line that had at worst a top five center in the world on it, Matthews. Yeah, and yeah, Damn. I was just saying, yeah, it's unfortunate that Tavares didn't, but like even then when they played the Jets, it's like Chifley isn't a slouch either. You know, like I guess he got to he took himself out of the series pretty early, but still, like even when they did play, they shut him down. And for how ironic is is that they say you need number one center. It's not like I think if you polled most people until this playoff run, no one would have called Phil Denoa number one center. No, not at all. Right? Like, and he is, I think, technically by like, I would have him in my top 32, but even then, I think he's kind of around 32 ish, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. He would probably be precisely 32 or something like that in that range. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we'll, and we'll definitely get in a little more Mark Stone later, but um, yeah, it, it's been awesome to see Pacioretty just, you know, revitalized and still probably has another couple of great years in him. So. Yeah. It looks like there's, he's in his timeline matches up pretty well with the way Vegas was built. He'll be bad by the time it won't matter that he's bad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who do you have at 13 then? At 13, I had Brennan Gallagher. Oh my God. I fucking totally forgot about Brennan Gallagher. Yeah, oh, damn. he's to me he's just what matt like in the ideal world matthew to chuck has the brendan gallagher career obviously it'd be cool if he adds the finishing talent i guess but like in the most realistic scenario that's what matthew to chuck tops out as and i think flames fans could and would be more than happy with that yeah that's totally fair uh, yeah i think he is absolutely top tony winger as well this exercise is just so hard there's so many good wingers um but yeah i, I think that's definitely fair he's Taken, he he battled injuries, I think, a lot this year, which is probably why I didn't really have him on my radar and just kind of forgot about him um, because he, he struggled to stay healthy. And that's going to be something that concerns me with him going forward, just because of obviously how aggressive of a game he plays. But when he is healthy, he is just such a pest effectively. Um, you know, it's not like he has no scoring touch or anything. It's he doesn't have like a ton like some of the other guys were about to start getting into. But yeah, he, he just does everything right, it feels like. Yeah, exactly. He's just clearly, even battling injuries, his play driving numbers are really good this year. He's just so he's just so clearly ridiculously effective at getting pucks to the net. It'd be really cool to see him playing. Obviously, he'd be way better than Zach Hyman, but like a Zach Hyman role where he has elite hockey players on his line to finish the chances that he generates. Yep, absolutely. Um all right, at number 12, I had a guy who, again, I think had probably a bit of a down season, especially by points, but, um, you know, still drove play pretty well, and uh, I, I'm still just high maybe on his potential, but it's Andre Svechnikov at 12 for me. Oh, I forgot Svech. He did have a bit of a down year, but I love this pick. Yeah, like, so he's, I don't know, it's tough because he hasn't really been put in a position to succeed in terms of absolutely popping off the page in, in Carolina so far. Like, his first year, he was playing with guys like Jordan Martinuk and, and Warren Fogle, who are, who are good players, don't get me wrong, but good players for a bottom six, not good players for your star offensive talent who should be dragging you. And, um, you know, the, the reason that I have Svechkov so high is, over his past three years, RAPM, he is just off the charts for expected goals and even close to off the charts for Corsi 4 per 60 as well. Like he just drives offense better than 
most players in the league and he's solid, very, very good on the power play as well. Um, so he, he definitely had a bit of a down season this year, but even this year, I think it was more just shooting luck than anything else because, you know, his offensive number, like his play driving offensively was still very, very strong. Yeah. Given how good he was, like I was so high on him. I took him in like the first round of our, our fantasy draft in one of our leagues. Like it seemed like this was going to be the year that he put it all together. It never ended up being this year, but he's such a ridiculous driver of offense that the second the goals follow the expected goals, he's going to be a ridiculously good player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to come sooner than later. Like, I, I really do. I, I don't think it's going to be too many more uh, years where he is um, under a point per game. I mean, even last year, like he was 61 and 68. Like that is, if, if that's where he closes off on, on, a, on a full season, I don't think anyone is complaining about that because you know, that is uh, 74 points over a full season. Yeah, and that's more than fair. He's the first guy we've talked about so far. In my opinion, there's a pretty distinct top five, and then there's another tier. He's the first guy we've talked about that I could easily see breaking that top five, like, as soon as next season. Yeah, like, if he can find, you know, just, yeah, if he gets some of these points where – and maybe puts the puck in the net a little – like, he – him scoring like 30 and having another 50 assists would not shock me even a little bit next year. Exactly. And it's Carolina. So, you know, a ridiculous play driving numbers to go along with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. At 11, I had a guy who actually had on your honorable mentions, but again, that's just how crowded this kind of stuff is. And I, I think I'm very much projecting forward here because I'm really on the uh, play driving side of things. Maybe not much on the uh, um, uh, base stats, but this is uh, where I, I have uh, Pavel Buchnevich here. I really think really highly of him. Um, maybe this is a tad high, but uh, I just think he never really got a good opportunity in um, New York for whatever reason. And despite that, he still absolutely tore it up when, you know, when he could, like he was, uh, um, he, he drove play extremely well. And I, I think in St. Louis, he's going to be what they thought Mike Hoffman uh, was going to be, uh, I'm really high on him. And I, I think that, you know, he he's due for a breakout year. Yeah. I, I have a guy you had on your honorable mentions at 11, which is kind of funny. I like Bujanovic a lot. I think if him and Ryan O'Reilly click, I don't know if they plan on using him on the top power play. It doesn't seem like New York ever really wanted to do that, but if St. Louis does, which is, I assume they do given the fact that they traded for him and paid him five plus million dollars. I could see him like popping off the page with his point totals catching up to where his underlying numbers have been for a while now. Plus giving him more time on ice will just make everything look better, even if his talent stays the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he's just been so good at driving play on a frankly mediocre team, you know, like uh, obviously there's going to be a New York Ranger winger uh, up pretty very high on this list. I'm assuming for both of us, but after that, like we've talked about a ton on this podcast that we're not really high on the team in general. So, um, you know, I, I love you. Maybe this is a bit of a reach and definitely projecting forward a little bit. I, I think it'd be fair to drop him closer to 20, but um, you know, I, I just think that this is one of the picks where it's like, if you need, especially if you need a sleeper in something like fantasy this year, this is your guy to take. Oh yeah. He'd be a great sleeper. Like I said, if he just gets that, I don't, I would love, I'm sure Rangers fans have had their like complaints or like they could tell you why in a split second, but I would love to know exactly why he never really got a shake. Cause I don't, I like, I don't know what he does so wrong. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like he's atrocious defensively either. He's just kind of whatever, 
you know? Yeah, I wonder if he just kind of gets the Nylander treatment where it's just like, ah, this European must be bad defensively because he's a European winger who's clearly really skilled offensively. And then the numbers just show it's clearly not true. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, who do you have at 11? I had a, a guy, a bit of a down year, but like looking at the, the goals above replacement and expected goals above replacement over the past three years, he's inside the top 20 in both. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, I I have him down because I think it's gone down every single year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or maybe, yeah. maybe it was really down two years ago and he bounced back a little bit this past year. I was super high on him coming into the year and he just I don't know like he just didn't have the year I was hoping he was going to have I think he's still a first line winger but like I just have him a little outside just because and maybe honestly Calgary was such a shit show that maybe it was it wasn't really his fault like he helped generate enough that you know maybe it was his teammates that were lacking but um yeah I definitely think this is an interesting case of if you value last year or the past two years, a little higher than th- like the full three-year picture, you could get a very different look on Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah. It really depends on the sample you use. He was aggressively mediocre in nineteen twenty, but he has had, I think he was pretty good last year. He wasn't exactly like ridiculously good, but it was basically the middle of two years ago and last year, like, or 1920 and eighteen nineteen. his 2021 year was the middle of those two seasons. Yeah, exactly. So it depends if you just use like a two-year sample, you could end up much lower on him. But I think he's clearly ridiculously talented. Um, It's not like he plays with elite players either, like some of the guys were on this list, which might help him, especially get those power play points up. But yeah, given how mediocre he's been for half of the previous two seasons, I could see not having him on as well. Yeah, and like um, he kind of feels like one of those guys where I don't think he, he had that one 99 point season, obviously in 18 19, and an 84 point season in 17 18. I don't know if those are ever going to come back, but I definitely think he has the potential to just be like a solid 70 to 75 point winger, maybe 65 point winger over the next couple of years. And that is obviously still extremely valuable. Yeah, exactly. And if he drives XG and is just competent defensively, plus the 70 point winger next year, like I'm more than happy to keep him at this 11 spot. I am a little worried because like I hung on to Hall. I had him higher than you did last year. Uh, I hung on, basically I hung on hope for Hall for one more year longer than you did. I'd be, I'm a little worried that I'm doing that with Goudreau, but I'll, I'll stick it out for one more year because he is in his 20s still. Yep, for sure. Um, 10, I have another guy who I think is a little high maybe, but uh, I didn't really know where to put him either. We only have one season of data, and that's Kirill Kaprasov. Uh, I, I feel like maybe I'm overrating him from um, a perspective of he kind of, and it wasn't just him, obviously. Goaltending was a massive part of it. Kevin Fiala taking another step forward was huge. Um, but, like, he really was one of the main pieces in helping this Minnesota Wild team go from just one of the most irrelevant franchises, someone that you absolutely wanted to watch, like, when you could, like if they were on, I would have no problem turning on a Minnesota game, which this is the first season I could say that in ever, maybe definitely since I've been hardcore watching hockey, that's for sure. Um, So maybe I'm overrating him a a little bit from there, but um, you know, he was like out of the guys I was looking at, um, you know, so I had a pretty clear, I thought there was a pretty clear top five. And then I thought there was another like six to nine. That was pretty clear as well. And then from 10 on in, I sorted uh, goals above replacement over the past two years 
And Kaprasov, despite not playing two years ago, still ranked like eighth among the guys, every guy I had on my list, basically, um, who I considered in this top 20. So there was probably about 28 names for this top, like the 10 to 20 area of this list. And he ranked eighth despite not even playing in one of those years. I'm not sure if he's a true top 10 talent in the league, but I think this past year he was. So that's why I'm giving him his props there. Yeah, that's fair. I kept using a three-year sample, so I kind of end up forgetting about Kaprizov. He was absolutely electric. I think he might be slightly overrated. I think so, too. Like, and again, I don't know if that's, like, even his fault. Like, I think it's just more the the, the Minnesota factor and that they weren't boring for once is why he kind of got overrated. A hundred percent. And, yeah, because all this year it's like, oh, they got Kaprizov and now they're good. It's like that obviously didn't hurt, but, no, they got goaltending and now they're good. Yes, that was the biggest difference between them, like, actually being able to kind of compete with like a Colorado and Vegas, which we absolutely didn't think they were going to be able to do. And yeah, them being probably the fourth on a normal year with no goaltending, they're either not in the playoffs or the fourth best team getting absolutely wrecked by Colorado around one. Yeah, exactly. God, there are so many. It feels like there's probably 35 top 20 wingers in the league. Yeah. Like it's just, there's so many names that you can go through where it's like, Oh man, like the, this guy's great. This guy's great. Like, uh, you know, even guys like um, Marcus Foligno had a very solid year this past year, had no consideration for him in my top 30 even, but like given by goals above replacement, at least this year, like Anthony Duclair is another guy where it's like, man, he had a really good year, but I didn't consider him at all, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, or just like an Ovi. Like, I didn't really even consider Ovi. And I think it's pretty easy to argue a guy like Tatar has a better impact on the overall game than Ovi, which feels like ridiculous to say. But Tatar was a guy I didn't even really consider inside the top 20 either. Yeah, no, me either. And, uh, yeah, so – um. All right, I believe we are both on to our top. Oh, wait, no, do you, who, who's 11 for you? Uh, Goudreau. Goudreau, okay, yeah. So we are both on to our top 10 then. Uh, I just gave 10. I cap- Capricol was 10 for me. Who do you have leading off your top 10 here? I had one of the better uh, passers in the league. I really don't feel that passionately about this player, but at some point his ridiculous results just have to speak for themselves over the past little while with Claude Giroux. Yeah, um, I, I think that's fair. I Again, I mentioned I kind of docked him maybe unfairly on my point because I wasn't sure if he was a setter or a winger. So I kind of hedged and put him at 19. But um, yeah, just by, especially like underlying numbers and even just raw point totals. Um, you know, it's not like he's a bum by raw point totals or anything like that either. Uh, he's been averaging, you know, I think he has, I think it was 95 over the past 120 games or something like that, which is very solid. But yeah, underlying play, he still ranks like, right up there for things like goals above replacement. Like he was seventh this year among all forwards in goals above replacement. Yeah. Which is nuts. And again, like it's clear he can't drive a line on his own because of taking him away from center. And that's when his results got a lot better, but it's clear he's in a a role that he excels at. Yeah. I mean, it's not his fault. Yeah. It's not his fault that he plays very well with Sean Couturier and sure. I'm sure anyone would play good with Sean Couturier, but not anyone would be top 10 in the league and goals above replacement with Sean Couturier. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like a, a magic potion that anybody would excel this well. Exactly. Um, all right. Into the top nine here. Again, I think from six to nine was a, also an, a nice, but a pretty clear four guys for me that are, 
all relatively close to each other, I think, um, and I all think very good. Name four. I have uh, Nikolai Ehlers at my number nine spot. Yeah, I had him eight. We're definitely going to have the same four here. Yeah, I think so as well. Because uh, I think there's a pretty clear top five as well. But, um, yeah, no, uh, Ehlers um, uh, deserves all the love you know, that we're about to give him here. Uh, again, uh, one pick where I think if you were – told people to rank the top 20 wingers among casual fans. Ehlers probably wouldn't even be in the top 20. Uh, he absolutely deserves it. The only thing holding him back right now is ice time for whatever reason. Paul Maurice doesn't want to play him as much as he should, but despite that, he still ranks ninth among all left wingers for points over the past two years um, and about 14th overall for wingers. Um, and, you know, he just drives play exceptionally well. Yeah, exactly. He's clearly just, a ridiculous skater, ridiculous offensive talent. He is, I, I used to tear him and Nylander together. It's pretty clear he's taken a step beyond that. And he's just a ridiculously good player. One of the truly elite wingers. Yep, absolutely. He's a, for sure a top 10 winger. Um, ranked uh, 11th among goals above replacement for forwards this year. Um, again, and that would be one, two, three, four. For it'd be about seventh among actual wingers, uh, one of them being Jared McCann, funny enough. Um, so you know, say the six there's six of the guys that will be on this list ahead of him that ranked for goals above replacement, or five guys, anyways. Um, so yeah, there's not much more to say. He's just I, I really do hope they give him more ice time going forward in Winnipeg because again, I, I think that's when we're gonna see his counting stats explode as well, um, even past what they have been lately. Um, and you know, he, he probably will get the at least more closer to the love he deserves then. Yeah, exactly. And he seems like watching him who was on the ice and he was like actually protecting the player. Like he just seems like a really lovable, lovable. Oh, dude. yeah. Um, it was when Shifley hit uh, Jake Evans. Yeah, I think it was Jake Evans. And yeah, he was like protecting the crowd, the, the scrum from falling on Jake Evans. Yeah, he, he just seems like a really good dude. That's for sure. Exactly. Neyler's also got that thing where Winnipeg power play is great and he doesn't seem to play power play one at least often, judging by his ice time there. And like if we know zone entries are ridiculously predictive of power play success, we know he's a super talented player and one of the few like true zone entry wizards in the entire NHL. Like I have a hard time believing he'd make that power play worse, at which point you would see his point totals take a humongous jump and get the national love that he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Like he again, like he was uh, one point away from point per game in the shortened season, 46 points, 47 games. If he can do that over a full season next year, I think he will start getting that love that he deserves for sure. Yeah, which would be awesome. Uh, who did you have at nine then? Uh, this will be the one to see if we truly have the exact same four, because if you have this guy close, it'll be Jonathan Huberto. I have him at six. So okay. he is in this tier. But yes, I have him leading this tier technically. But yeah, in the in the same tier for sure. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. These, the, This group is a perfect example of the tiering system because I honestly don't know exactly who should be where. Huberto is just a clearly great player, and he took a nice step forward, or all of Florida took a nice step forward, and it was nice to see him getting some, some attention this year. Yeah, I think the big reason I have him just slightly ahead of the other three guys in this tier is because we've now – this year, we got to see him effectively run his own line where he was still going point per game, um, despite not being stapled to Barkov's hip. 
Um, and that's a huge thing for me. Not that like, I don't doubt that Marner couldn't do the same or, uh, um, Ehlers, you know, I just kind of gave away who I'm going to have in this tier as well, but I don't think it's really a secret at this point. Um, but yeah, like Huberto has just been a play driving machine. He's done it by himself with teammates and he's been a point machine ranks third among left wingers over the past two years with 139 points in 124 games. And he ranks fifth among all wingers. Um, Kane Pasternak are two guys ahead of him and then uh, Marshan and Panarin. So um, again, a few of those names we're probably about to talk about as well. Uh, he's just been a phenomenal player. And the fact that we got to see him drive his own line is why I had him up at six this year. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fair. The, it's weird with as much as we just talked about how we believe you can drive line from the wings, how few wingers are capable of that. Cause like Huberto's there, the guy I have at six, I'm not hundred percent confident could drive a line. We'll be interested to see who you have here. Uh, I got Mitch Marner at eight. Okay, so I have Marner at six. I have okay. no this guy can drive his own line. Yeah, I mean, we just we haven't had to see it, right? And I, I think he could, um, but it depends to what point, right? Because, like, the, the thing about um, Huberto as well, it's like I say he had to drive his own line, but it's not like he had just no one with him or anything like that. Like, pretty sure Anthony Duclair played with him for a lot of the year. It was one of her Haggy or Duclair, but – both of those guys had absolutely breakout seasons to look good. And part of that is playing with better players, but also part of that is just, they looked like an actual good player, you know? So it's not like, yeah. Like if you stapled Kerfoot and Engvall to Mitch Marner and said, go play on the top six, I don't know how well Mitch Marner would do, but I'm sure if you gave Mitch Marner, you know, um, I, I'm trying to think of the a left winger that could play with him and then a centerman, I'm sure he would have fine enough results. Like, but I, I again, I, I don't know. Like it's just the fact that we've seen Huberto do it, and we have not seen Marner do it uh, to this point. Is why I have him slightly ahead. Yeah, the Leafs specifically are so top heavy that, like, if you ever asked him to drive a line in the top six, I think it would go poorly. But it wouldn't even mean that he can't do it, just because, like you said, it would be like Angball and Kerfoot or whatever. I guess you could put Nylander on his left wing to help him out, but it's basically like. High, yeah, like on Rivera's, or you get David Camp. Like you're yeah, either like, doing everything, or you have a guy who can do everything. Exactly. Yeah. You're, like maybe you move Nylander to center, but I think they uh, that that experiment seems to be over. But yeah, like if Nylander's not playing left wing or whatever, then you have Nick Ritchie probably as your second best left winger on this team. Like yeah, or Mikheyev yeah. or something, right? Yeah, and like they but and that, that's a thing. Hyman, it would have been testable if you could just put. Agreed. And Hyman, I guess, but even that. And and you know what? I I think we will get to see it maybe a little more as John Navarro starts to regress as he gets older. Um, You know, hopefully it's not to the point where it's like he's just dragging around nobody out there. But, you know, if Tavares into his 31, 32 year old season takes a step back, maybe you see Nylander go up with Austin and then have Marner try and drive Tavares, who's taking a bit of a step back. And we could see it then. But yeah, that'll be interesting to see, especially. Tavares is a fun one because skating was never big. So I don't know if that means when he loses a step, he'll age weight worse than other people or he'll age better. But that will be one way we might be able to see it from Marner. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I had him just slightly ahead of Ehlers, um, and again, this really isn't no uh, any fault of Ehlers, but uh, Marner just has the points compared to him because he's gotten um, that ice time uh, where it's kind of just a known com- commodity, right? Where you, we know what Marner will do with that ice time with that uh, power play time and everything Um, we think, you know, it feels reasonable that if you switch Marner and Ehlers, 
the results wouldn't be drastically different, but we don't know that for sure. Right. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I had Marner above Ehlers too. It's just clear the high end offensive talent. Like Marner's got that Patrick Kane level ceiling where he could realistically see like 105 plus point season if everything comes together. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Something tells me we're going to have the same number seven then. Yep. We must then. Miko Rantanen? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, Yeah. And another guy where we really haven't seen him drive his own line, but it's because he hasn't had to, you know, like um, when you have one of the best lines in hockey, why would you break that up? Uh, You know, some would argue maybe depth and um, at times Rantanen did slide down off the McKinnon line and he played pretty well with guys like uh, Brandon Saad was on the left wing. Um, And then, uh, you know, he, so it's not like he's been stapled to McKinnon forever, but he does definitely play a bulk of the minutes there. But that being said, he's still ranked fourth among all forwards in uh, goals above replacement this past year, ahead of McKinnon, ahead of Landeskog, ahead of Matthews, even Uh, the only winger behind was Jared McCann, LOL. Um, And it's, and even, yeah. So like, uh, just the, the year he had was unbelievable. Um, And he, he has the points, obviously, to do it um, again, the, the only reason I had him slightly behind Huberdo right now is just because we haven't seen him truly drive his own line for a full year. We've seen that parts, but um, and not that that's really any fault of his own, but um, yeah, he's an amazing winger and it's weird because I, you know, he's getting up to, I think 23, 24 years old, but it wouldn't shock me if he took another step forward in terms of being like really drive. If they let him drive his own line, say they want to split it up for some more true depth. At 24 years old, if we see him drive his own line and play at this, you know, 60 points in 52 games, which would be lower than last year, I think he might even take another step up some people's list. Yeah, I could 100% see that. And like this year worked well for him because, yeah, the biggest knock on him is that the, the line he plays with, like you said, he did well with Saad. Like McKinnon was hurt for a little bit this year and the regression models still absolutely freaking love this guy. So like you can't penalize him too much for his context because as best we can tell, like he absolutely deserves a good chunk of the credit for it. Yeah. And like he was in, he's sixth among uh, right wingers for points over the past two years. He has 30 less games played than most of these guys. Like he played, he was hurt for points of parts of time last year. He has 107 points in his last 94 games. All five people that are above him, 121, 120, 114, 118, 120, 126 for games played. So um, yeah, Rantanen is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Just ridiculously good. The wealth of riches in Colorado. Yep. Um, So I'm very, very confident. We have the same five players in our top five. I am very curious to see the order though. Um, I will go first with my number five. I have Pasternak. Okay. So I did something fun for Pasternak. I tiered this whole list. Pasternak's in his own tier. I think he's distinctly below the next four we're going to name. And I think he's distinctly above the Marner and Rantanen and Huberdos of the world. I think that's fair. You could definitely make an argument for that. He's definitely on the outside. Like for me, he was an easy five. Once I started to look into it, I thought maybe he would almost be a little higher, just kind of like what I thought with my, you know, um, just priors or whatever. But then when you start digging into the data, it becomes pretty clear that um, he is unfortunately not the best player on his line, at least from a statistical point there right now, um, but still an absolutely freaking phenomenal player and just a wealth of riches to have him as not even the best player on the line. And we talked about Bergeron. I had him sick. You had him like 
10th when we did our centers and we talked about how he still was being dragged by two better teammates than him. Just a disgusting wealth of riches for that top line in Boston. Yeah, exactly. And like the reason I think Pasternak is lower than the next four guys is because he doesn't even really belong in the same conversation as the next four, as far as how well they drive play. But Pasternak's probably the second best shooter in the entire league. And he's yeah. not like a bad play driver either. Like, and that's that shooting talent is so ridiculously rare and hard to come by that it's hard not to have him above so many guys who drive play a lot better than he does. Yeah, for sure. Cause again, like it's great to drive play, but you can only do that. So for so long before having 143 points, in 118 games just trumps it anyways, you know? Exactly. Cause like Pasternak is a decent play driver still, but like Thomas Tatar would have to be better than peak Datsuk to drive enough XG to make up for how good of a shooter Pasternak is relative to a guy like that. Yeah. You basically have to like not get scored on. Yeah. Like exactly. So um, yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. I think, you know, when I was playing another, uh, after I settled on the top five, I thought he was pretty clearly five as well. Um, I got Nikita Kucherov at four. I think part of this is just because maybe because he spent the whole year injured. Um, and so, you know, again, maybe that's not really anything that is his fault, but um, you know, you look at goals above replacement and even per 60 over the past two years, um, he has been below the three guys I have ahead of him, um, you know, for points uh, again, like he obviously is a point scoring machine um, that power play. But um, the other thing is obviously all of these guys have uh, very good teammates, but Nikita Kucherov, I think, has the best of the bunch in terms of just like it feels like anyone he and he's a big part of this, but anyone he plays with on Tampa is absolutely amazing. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I think he if if someone wanted to have him even first, I would not uh I would not complain at all. I just think after the obviously the the full season off, I'm curious to see how his body plays a full 82 because I really do think you know his 32 points and 23 playoff games is freaking insane this year. Um, but I really do think having the full year off after he's played so much hockey was a benefit, not a detriment to him. Yeah, a hundred percent, especially because he's not, he's like, he's not young anymore either. No, he's 28. Like, yeah. Which is like new age old kind of thing or like getting there. At least I decided I didn't penalize him at all for missing this past season because of how dominant he was in the playoffs. Like if you look at, his goals above replacement over the past three years, like the closest guy to him is Miko Ranton. And yeah, I think that is fair. Like, um, you know, he's just like one of those guys where whenever he's on the ice, the team does well. And um, yeah, I think if you wanted to argue that he was uh, um, still the, uh, even the best winger in the league, I, I don't think I would have an issue with that at all. I have one. Like the fact that obviously like I, I just used the playoffs. He was so ridiculously good that I feel pretty comfortable that the way we left him is the way he still is, at which point I think he's won. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I really think that there's not a ton separating these four guys, really. Um, so, you know, you could kind of have them in any order you want. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah he's, uh, like the, he's the ideal, like, Pasternak age curve. Yes. Like the play driving numbers do come together, plus being one of the top five shooters in the entire league to become, then you get into the tier where you're like a top five player in the entire NHL. Yeah. And like even his just defensive 
kind of come together over the past couple of years. Like two years yeah. ago in that uh, insane, when, like when they got swept by Columbus and he had the 128 points in 82 games, he was really cheating on defense, I think, for a lot of that. And then, you know, last year he had, uh, or sorry, two years ago now, he had 85 and 68, which is still absolutely insane. But he was also like above a replacement level defense uh, defensively instead of below. Yeah, exactly. If you look at his uh, RAPM chart from the the last time he played a three-year stretch, he get just like a, a vaguely close to average defensive player, which makes enough sense. Yep, Give absolutely. Offensively. Yep, considering he's probably like on wing, I would say he's probably the best offensive, maybe. Yeah, probably the best offensive winger there is. Like he's just a point machine. In terms of generating just on ice goals for, I think it's him. Like number one, he's just ridiculous. His shots, yeah. and maybe when we're talking about best shots, he might get slept on too. He is another guy who's got to be a top five shooter in the world. Yeah, he kind of just scores from everywhere. Eh? Like, yeah, yeah, like a, a shot. The Tampa power play is so stupid because a shot from the high circle is still like a ridiculously dangerous shot because it's coming from Kucherov or Paul. Yeah, and if it's not coming from him, he saws around like Steven Stamkos. Yeah, or yeah, or Stamkos, just, you know, one of the best goal scorers of his entire generation who's, like, third fiddle in that conversation. Yeah, exactly. It's just an embarrassment of riches, and it's why this team should probably be the favorites to three-peat this year, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. So, um, at three, I had uh, Mark Stone. Ooh, I did not expect to be higher on Stone than you were. Uh, it's more about the two guys ahead of him, I think. Yeah, that's fair. And I only have one spot ahead of you, so it's not like it's a, a meaningful gap in this tier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think with Stone, for me, it's um, – I mean, I, anyone who plays with him gets better. Uh, I, I still think – and maybe this is just because he doesn't quite have the line mates that some of these other guys have. Um, I think maybe to be in that two or one conversation, he might still need a few more points in terms of points per game. Um, he's been a point-per-game player now over the past uh, – two seasons that we've seen. So it's not like he was when he was in Ottawa where he was just barely hanging over to that for 58. But um, again, then again, then again, I guess it's been 65 and 55. Right. So, um, but yeah, I think it's just um, obviously he is one of the best play drivers in the, in the entire world. Um, It doesn't always turn into as many goals as maybe even his play driving would suggest, but he's one of the best at just knocking down pucks, He's not a fast skater, which is what makes him so much fun to watch is just how he is so he's one of the smartest hockey players, maybe the smartest player in the league, because he doesn't have the physical skill to keep up with a Connor McDavid or even, you know, um, a Kucherov or a Pasternak. But he just is so smart in the way he goes about it. It absolutely does not matter. Exactly. And he's like the takeaway God and like loose puck recovery God and everything like in tight. His hands are so good. Like he just does literally everything you could ask for. Yeah. Like he's just, and again, like you put anyone on his wing or in center with him and they will score 15 to 20 goals, no matter how bad they are. Yeah. I had him too, because of he's got that Crosby level magic of just like, like a winger who you put, who elevates his line mates to that degree is so rare. Yeah. And it's like, at this point, we just know it's a fact, you know, like, like it's the Pacioretty renaissance is probably at least partially because of him. You about, uh, what was his name? Zach Smith. Zach like Smith. 20 goals next. Well, yeah. Yeah. Colin like the White. big knock on stone. 
was always he was only a 60 point guy or whatever but like you said now he's put up a point per game over the past two seasons so at this point he's just an offensive god in terms of play driving he's got a good shot himself so it still turns into goals at a ridiculously higher rate although not quite as high as some of the other guys maybe he's a defensive beast at both five on five and the penalty kill which is important to point out and he's still effective on the power play although i think he's distinctly worse than all of the other five top guys and probably worse than even marner rantanen yes. we're going a bunch of these guys too Mark Stone doesn't have like a shot, like a dangerous shot, but he's got like a, some insane vision. Like his, his passing is insane, but yeah, yeah he's he, just, he's so smart the way he plays the game. Like I could, I could talk about him for literally forever. Yeah. I guess he's kind of got that like Bozak thing where he like shoots at a high percentage, even though you don't watch him and be like, Oh my God, what an awesome shot that guy has. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because he gets so close to the net at times too, where it's like, his shot, his shot selection is just so high of a chance of going in. So yeah, and he he's the primary reason because he is such a good play driver that those he just generates so many high percentage chances for himself that they're bound to keep going in. Absolutely. Uh, who do you have at four? At four, I had a guy you must have higher, uh, Brad Marchand. I have him number one. Really? Yes, sir. Uh, you go for four, and then I'll give you my, the reason I have him. Uh, it's so high. Yeah. Okay. So one is fair enough. He is also a ridiculously good penalty killer. Um, clearly an elite offensive play driver. Very good at turning the XG that he generates into goals. Fantastic on the power play. He has a better penalty differential than guys like Mark Stone. Like he does a lot of things well. Um, I just don't think he's quite as complete as a guy like Stone or quite as good offensively with the at his best as a guy like Kucherov. So it kept him lower down for me. Yeah, I, I think the biggest argument against him, too, is that he we haven't ever had to see him away from Pasternak or Bergeron. Um, yeah, which be- I think, again, it's not really his fault. But at the same time, I think is uh, a fair enough argument against him. Um, yeah, it's one of the things you can only play with what you're given. And like with what he's given, he is, uh, let's see, he's fourth in the league in goals above replacement over the past three seasons. That's what I was just about to bring up. So over the past three seasons, especially if we're looking at the core four here, Panarin, Kucherov, Stone, Marchand. Again, Kucherov gets a little screwed because he uh, uh, didn't get to play uh, this year. But I mean, that's just kind of how it falls. But um, you know, uh, Panarin has the best season. It was his 19-20 season. Stone's 18-19 season ranks second. And then you go Marshawn. Kucherov's 18-19 season ranks fourth. And then you go Marshawn again. And then Panarin. And then Marshawn again. And then Kucherov. And then Stone. And then Panarin. And then Stone. So Marshawn has three of the best. Uh, if you're taking the 12 seasons out of these guys, Marshawn has three of the best six or seven. Um it's just he's been one of the best players over the past three years by goals above replacement. And his points are just like I, I just always forget every time I look at him and Pasternak, too, for that matter, just like how many points they're scoring. And yeah, like yeah, I, I do I think, think of Marshan as like the big play driver or whatever, but his yeah, but like over the past three years, XG. He, he's put up a hundred points in 79. He was a hundred point player three seasons ago. Yeah. Would have never been able to tell that he's gone over the past five years. He's got 85 and 80, 85 and 68, 179, 87 and 70 and 69 and 53 this year. Yeah. So like, 
ridiculous. You, you take some of those over 82 games. Like he was on 107 point pace this year. Um, in the uh, season that got caught off last year, he was on a hundred point pace, I believe as well. Like this guy, if it wasn't for the shortened seasons, yeah, he was on 102 last year as well. This guy easily could have had 300 point seasons in a row. Um, and like, that's just kind of why I, I did not come into this exercise expecting to have Brad Marchand one, but the combination of just how well he drives play, obviously you mentioned his short, uh, his penalty kill ability and um, just, you know, how many points he's had over the past three, four five years uh, put him number one for me. Um, I, again, like, I do agree with the ceiling maybe thing where it's like on any given day, I would probably take a Kucherov, a Panarin or a stone like at their highest ability. But Brad Marchand has just been so consistent for so long that I think there's something to that as well. Yeah, he has been ridiculously consistent. And it's also worth saying like the thing that would keep put a guy like stone above Marchand on the goals above replacement leaderboard is stone has better defensive results over the past three seasons at even strength because Kucherov's or uh, Marchand's kind of fallen off there or whatever. But given how good Marchand is at killing penalties and how good he has been in the past defensively and how noisy we know our defensive numbers are publicly, it's entirely possible that he's still a fantastic defensive player. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, final guy, then Uh, I have him two. You must have him three. It's Artemi Panera. Yep. Yeah, I had Panarin above Marshan just because we've seen um, seen him do it without anyone. Yeah, and, and I think that's fair. That's why I had him at two, um, and I had him slightly above Stone just because we've seen him do it so aggressively without anyone. Where um, you know he's just put up over a point per game despite playing with like Ryan Strom as his main centerman. I want to say, yeah, like, he turned Ryan Strom into a player that people care about, which is wild. Yeah, and like even no offense to Mika Zibanejad, but it's not like Mika Zibanejad was a top ten winger or centerman ever, right? Like, yeah, he's made Zibanejad a lot of money going into his next contract already. Yeah, absolutely, and just like again, like that uh, Rangers power play has been you know really good over the past couple years, uh, after the past two years, and um, that is largely because of one guy driving that. I am very confident in saying that. Yeah, that seems pretty comfortable. He very clearly drives literally everything in New York. Fox is great, but like Panarin is their best player, bar none. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and again, sorry to the people who want to hear more on Panarin, but like he just does it so well. Like he's not amazing defensively, but he's not like an active liability there either. And then he is just one of the best pure offensive players. Like I think Kucherov or him, it's got to be, I think, for offensive wingers, just in terms of pure generation. Yeah, 100%. And it's kind of funny because a bunch of the guys at the top here uh, lean shooters, but he does it almost purely through passing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like he's got like a cannon for a shot or anything like that. No, he's just one of the best passers in the entire league. And that's how he, that's his weapon of choice. And I do, I do have a, a love for the playmakers over the shooters. I don't think they always get as much uh, love as they should using our public analytics because it's a lot easier to talk about shooting as is. Yeah, absolutely. For I totally agree. Um, all right. Well, that was close to an hour and a half. Always is a long discussion with the wingers because, you know, I mentioned as we get to the centers, when we got to the top four, it was just like, well, yeah, this guy is amazing. What do you want us to say? Where as you know, there, there's clear tiers with the centers. There's obviously clear with tiers with the wingers, but 
there's so much explanation to do of why we have people where we do on the tiers. So, um, yeah, because there's no McDavid of the winger. No, exactly. And even just like, I think with centerman now, it's pretty clear that McKinnon and Matthews are two and three, where it's like, yeah, there's just there's the top five or four of the wingers, maybe top five if you want to throw past them there, but you can have them literally in any order. Yeah, exactly. The fact that we had one, the same one, two, three, four, just in different orders, same five, and then six through nine is the same players again, just in a different order, speaks to the way the wingers are distributed currently in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyways, I hope everyone enjoyed that. We will be back next week with the defensemen and then the following week with goaltenders. Um, Chase is going away, uh, I guess, in two weeks, technically, right? It's not next week. but uh, So we will both probably record both episodes next week and the goalie one will come out. So we won't do any news with that one. That one might be a bit shorter of an episode. Um, I also want to thank everyone uh, on behalf of Chase and I for all the support. I found out today that we are top 100 uh, in hockey podcasts in Canada for Apple podcasts. We're sitting at 97th. So there's a long way to go here, Chase, obviously, but um, I was just absolutely uh, shocked and just so excited uh, to see that. I don't know about you, but it was just um, so cool to see. Yeah. I probably would have guessed. I know, I know there's not even that many hockey podcasts, especially in the States. I would have guessed closer to 997 than 97. That was kind of cool. We got to get up to 69. Yes, absolutely. That, that's got to be the goal. But uh, yeah, no, seriously, thank you everyone for the support. It's meant so much. And uh, I'm, I'm glad everyone seems to be enjoying these episodes and, you know, the content. We're trying to keep pushing through the summer and it's going to be another exciting year. So um, as always, you can find my stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>